good to see you again. Um, will you pray with me? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength, our tower, our redeemer, and our love. Amen. So we are in the middle of a teaching series uh, titled Sanctuary Distinctives. The series focuses on identifying and rearticulating the common values and community norms that we share, asking what excites us about us, mostly. And today, I'd like to read against the grain, as I typically do. Um, rather than identifying and naming some values that make us us, so to speak, I would like to lean into a few behaviors that we don't do in order that we might see ourselves more clearly through our own restraint. And to get us to start it today, I'd like to share a clip from one of my favorite movies of all time, Footloose. This, this scene starts um, with um, a sermon from um, Pastor Reverend Shaw Moore, who is John Lutko. Um, and uh, would you please play the clip for me? Thank you. And he is testing us. Every, every day, our Lord is testing us. If he wasn't testing us, how would you account for the sorry state of our society? for the crimes that plague the big cities of this country, when he could sweep this pestilence from the face of the earth with one mighty gesture of his hand. If our Lord wasn't testing us, how would you account for the proliferation these days of this obscene rock and roll music with its gospel of easy sexuality? and relaxed morality. If our Lord wasn't testing us, why, he could take all these pornographic books and albums and turn them into one big fiery cinder like that. But how would that make us stronger for him? A sanctuary, um, we don't peddle in fear. And there's a... Yes, amen. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of fear um, going on in the Reverend Moore's sermon, a clip from his sermon, rather. The first is the fear of God's retribution, of his mighty hand. There is the fear that one would suffer if they fail the test that God has set up, so to speak. There's a fear that you might be excluded if, one doesn't, if one's behaviors doesn't align with the preaching. There's a fear of exclusion from community. Most importantly, it takes a broken world and sets up as the adversary of Christ, seemingly missing the notion that Christ died for the world, not to oppress it, but to save it. And he's the savior of the whole world, and especially those who believe. Sanctuary, this short clip differs from how we do community, how we do love, and how we do worship. It seems we move towards God, not out of fear, but being drawn by the Holy Spirit towards God. To put it more simply, we do it because we may, not because we must. We come to know and to encounter the man named Jesus through community. The scripture I'd like to focus on today is Luke 7, 36 through 50, the anointing of Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, 
and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kiss his feet and anoint them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees had invited when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them do you think loved him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turned toward the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he who is forgiven much loves much. Your sins are forgiven, he says to her. And the people at the table sitting with him says, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Sanctuary, I'd like to set the scene um, a little more briefly. Uh, Christ is invited to the Pharisees' house. Pharisees are religious leaders of their day and time. He eats, he, he accepts, he arrives, and there's a woman appears and who's said to live a sinful life. And generally, that's code word for um, she might have participated in sex work. A woman with a questionable morals, or who people think have questionable morals, enters Christ. She weeps, she attends to him, she pours oil on his feet. Um, Jesus makes a distinction between the way that she treats him and the way that the Pharisees who invited him treats him. Christ forgives her of her sins, forgives her of her sins, and sends her on her way in peace. I'd like to flip this script and examine how the unnamed woman might have felt. She sees Christ, she's drawn to him, but to get to Christ, she has to go into a house where she's unwanted. She has to bypass a group of people who have ideas about who she is and what she's done. And maybe she's more afraid that some of the things they might be saying is true, afraid of being exposed, but she persists anyway. She goes anyway. She knows what people think about her. She hears them whisper, and she goes anyway. And perhaps the story told from her perspective is that she needed something from Christ. She needed an encounter with Christ, and so she persisted. Some believe that we only need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is only partially the case. We have a corporal relationship, a bodily relationship with Jesus Christ, both as the body of Christ and Christ's body. The church has a relationship with Christ built on person-to-person connections and how we do church together. It seems to not simply be about how we understand ourselves individually as a part of the great narrative, 
but still about how we come to know ourselves as followers of Christ in our relationship with each other, through our relationship with each other, connected to Christ. As the woman stood in the doorway, I wonder if she debated with herself and swallowed back her fear, looking at the onlookers who have gathered as roadblocks to the Christ she needs so desperately, insisting that her social location as a disqualification for being connected to God or being in relationship to Christ. And when I think about things we don't do at Sanctuary, we don't impede someone else's journey by assuming their value, by assessing their worth, by creating conditions that one must meet in order to be with us. As a congregation, we strive not to let race, sexuality, gender, expression, class, or assume worthiness of a person get in the way of God's reckless and profound love. Because we also desperately want this reckless and profound love. When I say we don't peddle in fear, I mean that we strive first and foremost not to use the fear of social exclusion to determine who is worthy and who is not worthy of joining us. This exchange between this woman and Christ would have been inappropriate. Actually, I'm uncomfortable when I read it a little bit. I mean, Jesus is there in his body, and this woman comes and is like, starts to rub, you know? I mean, like, let's be real, it's a body, it's Christ's body, and now she's like rubbing and touching him in all of these ways, and it's uncomfortable, I'm sure for Christ, perhaps, and the onlookers are uncomfortable, so everybody is uncomfortable with this, right? Like, the attention to the corporal body is not just attention to the body of Christ, but attention to Christ's actual body. Yeah. Um, and it's intimate, right? Like, this is, this is intimate. This is, this is particular. It's intimate. It's about their relation. And Christ allows it to continue, knowing they're being watched as she watches his feet, right? This woman's believed to be unclean, and touching Christ would have theoretically made him unclean. But instead, he is open to her attending to him. He allows it to go forward. He even remarks in scripture, do you not see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped, my, wiped her hair with my feet, feet with hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, yet this woman has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven as a great love is shown. And traditionally, this uh, narrative is used about forgiveness, and it's, it's rightly so, about how God forgives our sins. And yes, the reading there is true. Yeah, but what jumps out to me is how Jesus remarks about how he's actually being treated, how he's being presented, how, he being how he is being touched, the manner in which he's being attended to. And I can't help but compare the manner in which parts of the Christian tradition contend with Jesus how they handle him. I look back at the clip of the Reverend Moore from Footloose and how he handles and represents and attends to God, how he seems to understand who he seems to understand God to be. His handling of God doesn't seem to be born from a deep wellspring of mercy, but seems to be born out of fear and retribution handed to the other people. It doesn't seem to be based off of a God who can restore and resurrect, but based off of a God who wants to smite and destroy. See, we don't peddle in fear or use fear of exclusion or scapegoating to keep people hostage to our sets of rules. We aim not to peddle in the fear of an angry God that wants to destroy and smite, not because there is no sin, but because in sin being described as a, 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 a disconnection from Christ or malalignment with Christ. 
is that we strive to do what's right because we want to grow up in our best selves in Christ. We fall through love into obedience, not because we must, but because we may. The Reverend Moore suggests God wants to smite, and I'm like, "Mm, this God I know is the one who will leave the 99 and come to find me if I'm lost. And these are two different treatments, two distinct manners of attending to God. Like the woman, I too, sanctuary, want to attend to God delicately. I too want to pour perfume onto his feet. I too want a genuine connection with Christ, a connection that disrupts domination. Even systems that would pin someone down as being a sinful woman are disrupted through connection, through community, and through God's unabiding love. And in another reading of a similar story in Mark, the ending is a little bit different. Leave her alone, Jesus says. This is Mark 14, 6 through 8. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always have you with them, but you won't always have me. She did what she could. She put perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What I find ironic about this part of the scripture, about even after Jesus' proclamation about how she will be remembered and memorialized as a part of the greater story of the gospel, the author or authors neglect to even record her name. And in Mark's gospel, the woman enters in for an encounter with God and leaves elevated and honored. The social system that would have excluded her or pushed her to the side has been turned on its head because encounters with Christ leave us liberated. It leaves us free. And now I can see this two ways. Liberated and free from sin, as tradition encourages us, yes. But Christ also frees us from something else. He frees us from what other people might be thinking about us. He enables us to do something really profound, which is to mind our business. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. To not be too concerned with people, how people may be thinking about us, because that's between them and Jesus. But to be free from the onlookers. See, when Christ announces her liberation, it's not in that she's free from sin. It's not just for her. It's for the people around her. It's so that she's elevated and lifted. It's so they quiet it down. The church, like the people in the room, could block a connection with Christ. We cannot somehow encounter Christ and not be changed. When Christ allowed that moment, that very intimate moment between him and the woman to go forward, he also was touched by it. And so it's all about how we treat outsiders, or better yet, how we don't treat outsiders, how we deal and contend with uncertainty. But it's also about how we handle Christ. How do we attend to him? How do we represent him to others? And what does this mean corporally and corporally? By attending to Christ in the manner that she did, she leaves perfumed. She reeks of Christ. By pulling her hair on his feet and by pouring oil onto him, it's now on her. The aroma of this oil has filled the room. It's heavy, everyone can smell it, and she is changed. She has been anointed with this perfume, this expensive perfume now, because of her encounter with God. 
Because when we come into contact with Christ, we leave changed. In Sanctuary, we deserve diverse viewpoints rather than leaning on institutional dogma, ascribing, ascribing to what we might believe individually. Because we lean into that we don't peddle fear. We bear witness to a God that chases us down. We wrestle with our own understanding and commitments to Christ and then to join these commitments to a corporal understanding, a church-wide understanding. We're asking each of you to bring the Christ that you know, that only you know, that I don't know this Christ, and that we're better when you bring the Christ that you know to us all. We could speak about the woman who anointed Christ with the most expensive perfume she could afford. We were talking about spending her life savings on an item. Or we could speak about the woman who left adorned, smelling of Christ, perfumed forever, always remembered, and as the text may imply, memorialized, because there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 1 John 4, 1. And oh, how he loves us so. And for the word of God in scripture, and for the word of God in our lives, and for the word of God in our church, praise be to God. Amen.